0: All right. Good morning. How's everyone doing today? Good, good. All right. Well, welcome to those of you that are here in person. For those of you online, those of you in the garage or upper room. Um, it's great to see everyone here today. Um, and as was talked about, we're gonna talk about justice today. And our, our theme verse is Micah 6:8. Do justice, love mercy, walk with God in humility. And it's hard to kind of parcel these verses and these words out, really, because in actuality, they all work together in uniformity. So we're not here to be like, hey, we just need to do this one thing or do that. They all work. Justice, mercy, and walking with God work together. But we felt like it's so important with our day and age and time that we're in right now to talk about justice and to not be a people that step back and kind of distance ourselves from what's going on in the world. But to truly enter in and get God's heart for what's going on. And to bring his shalom to the chaos around us. And so I'm excited about this morning and all we have today. Um, so, and if anything, I know justice can be kind of a uh, touchy topic at times. We have different variations of what we think of justice and whatnot. So if you do have any complaints to Rod, my name is Matt Stoll, so you can email Matt Stoll. No, I'm just kidding. My name's Max Garter, so you can uh, email that. All right, thanks. Rod said, hey, we're in our living room, so let's have some fun today. Even though in my living room, I don't know if we have a lot of fun. We get into a lot of discussions and everything. Hopefully my parents aren't watching. But uh, anyway, all that to say, our missions team has been talking and praying about what does it mean to be a people of justice. How do we even define this word, biblical justice? And so we've looked at different scriptures and sources and whatnot. I mean, there's whole books written about biblical justice. And we came up with this definition that we feel like captures the heart of it is, biblical justice is when the people of God live out the heart of God to love and defend the vulnerable, oppressed, marginalized So again, that's a very short summation of things that we could expound on for for a long time, but we feel like this really captures the heart. And so just as I'm going to be up here just for a few minutes, all I want to do is look at two things, is what is God's heart when it comes to loving and defending the vulnerable, oppressed, and marginalized? And then in response to that, what is our role as God's people? And I think before we even jump into Talking about justice, I think it 's so important that we see how does God see us as His creation, as His sons and daughters, How did He mean for the world to be before it was broken and before sin entered? And so I think it 's a good place to start is Genesis one and two by looking at how was it meant to be? in a verse that I think we 're all familiar with, Genesis one 126 "Let us make mankind in our image in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish." in the sea, in the birds in the sky, over the livestock, all the wild animals, and over the creatures that move along the ground. And there's two things that I notice here. First of all, something that we've probably heard many times in our life is that we're all made in the image of God. We are beautifully and wonderfully made. In fact, in Psalm 8, it says that we're made a little bit lower than the angels, but that word for angels is actually Elohim, which is a word that's used for God. So he sees us, he loves us. And that's a place to start is, first of all, do you see yourself as an image bearer, loved and valued by God? And in light of that, do you see others around you as people made in the image of God? Because I know way too often in my own heart, in my own life, instead of seeing people as God sees me and others as image bearers, I see them with the labels that I put on them, rich or poor. Um, Democrat, Republican. All these different labels, good, bad. And right away when I start to label people this way, I create this internal caste system in my own heart that kind of determines, I'm gonna determine who do I listen to, who do I value, who do I care for? And you know what, who are the people that I don't really need to listen to? Who can I kind of push to the margins or to the sides? And I see that creeping up in my own heart. But I want to be as God is, that he says, I see you as made in my image, first and foremost. What we also see is that it says mankind as a whole is to rule over all the earth, over the living creatures, all creation. There is no mention of ruling over one another, but we were meant to rule together. This is how God intended it to be for us to rule together, to display his heart, his character, his nature to the world. But what do we see? Obviously, we know this isn't the world that we live in. By Genesis 3, the world has gone into chaos with with sin, and by Genesis 4, we have the first murder that takes place with Cain killing Abel. And we see this over and over as right away, the inclination of man and women's hearts is to vie for power, to want authority, to push people to the side, to marginalize those that are weaker and less than. And we see this throughout the Old Testament. But what does God do in that? What is his response? So we wanna look at God's heart for biblical justice. God raises up the Israelites who he says, you are the least among the nations. You are a small group of people and he raises them up, and he pulls them out of slavery in Egypt, and he takes them to this land. And he says, in this land, I want you to display who I am. And you're going to do that by following my Torah. And it's the Torah is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And this word Torah I think we think of is is just this law in that it's something the Israelites could never live up to, could never really gain or understand fully or live into. But actually the word Torah also, Torah, not Torah, I keep saying that before, Torah, it sounds like a cheer. Um, The word Torah actually means instruction. And so God was giving the Israelites this instruction as a way to live life to be a just social and economic structure and treating justly the poor, the vulnerable, the foreigner amongst you, how they are to relate to him and to others, to display that to the world around them. And by following God's instruction, this was their way of worship and displaying to the nations around them who, they, who God is and who God's called and created them to be. Exodus nineteen six says they are a kingdom of priests. They are to priest on behalf of God to the world and the world to God, to show the world what God is like, to infiltrate the cultures of this world that are broken. But as we see through many books of the prophets, instead of the culture being impacted by the Israelites and the people of God, the culture starts to seep in and impact them the funny thing is is they keep their religious feasts and festivals you look at Micah 6 Jeremiah 7 Isaiah 58 just to name a few they keep doing their religious duties but God says you know what I I want no part of that I have want nothing to do with that because you're missing the heart of it while you are going and gathering together and fasting you're mistreating the foreigner in your midst you're oppressing the poor and the marginalized exploiting the vulnerable and the oppressed, you're holding your religious fe- festivals and I don't even care about them. In fact, in Zechariah 7, when the people are, uh, people would have been fasting for years and God says, I don't even care about that anymore. He says, administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other, but it says they wouldn't listen And because they wouldn't listen, God said, I'm not gonna listen to them when they call out to me. And this is pretty serious stuff and it makes me think of our culture today. There's so many voices speaking to us, telling us certain things. And my question is, who are you and who am I listening to? What voices are we listening to? You know, the, the Israelites, this didn't just happen overnight where they, they started hardening their hearts towards God. It came over years and years of seeing these different cultures and saying, you know what, no, I think I, wanna, I, I want this. I want to strive for this. I want to be this. I want to gain this rather than seeing God's heart for those around them. So it's imperative in this time and day and age that we listen and hear God's voice. And as we continue to look at God's heart for justice, I think we need to look at who does God identify with so often in the Old Testament. Proverbs 14 says, Whoever oppresses the poor, he mocks his maker. And those that insult the poor also insult their maker. And also, God says... In Deuteronomy 10, when he describes himself, 1017, he says, For the Lord your God is God of gods, Lord of Lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, who is not partial, and shows bribes. He's saying, I am this great, awesome, powerful God. Yet what does he say? Who executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing, even in his greatness, his vastness, he says, I identify with the poor, I care about the marginalized, the fatherless, the oppressed. Like we've talked about many times at Crossroads, God doesn't identify with those on the top, but with those on the bottom. And no greater view do we see of that as we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament as Jesus comes on the scene. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God is here. And he's saying, I'm king of this kingdom. I have come to fulfill the law, the Torah, instruction. I've come to fulfill it. And this is how you are to live. And time and time again, who does Jesus love and defend? In Mark 10, with blind Bartimaeus, he's crying out, saying, Jesus, have mercy. I want to be healed. And everyone around him is saying, be quiet. He doesn't want to hear from you. He's too busy. Jesus sees him. He calls him over and he heals him. In Luke 8, the woman who had been bleeding for years, marginalized, pushed to to the side, saying, you are unclean, you can't be a part of this. She touches Jesus, and she's healed, and what does Jesus do? He welcomes her in. John 8, the woman caught in adultery, she has no one to defend her, no one to stand up for her, to speak on her behalf. What does Jesus do? He enters in, and he speaks up for her. He is a voice for the voiceless. He says, who's ever without sin, throw the first stone. Matthew 19, pushing the little children away, saying, you know what? No, he doesn't have time for them. Jesus says, no, this is who my kingdom is all about. This is who my kingdom belongs to. This is what you need to be. This is what you need to be about. Throughout the Gospels, you see Jesus loving and defending the vulnerable, the oppressed, and the marginalized. And not only does he defend them, but he truly identifies with them. Where was he born? He was born in a stable among animals in the muck and mire. He displayed himself not to kings and rulers, but to a group of shepherds on a hillside. In Isaiah 53, it talks about him being the suffering servant who was despised by men and oppressed. Matthew 8, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And one of the most powerful verses or chapters in the Bible, Matthew 25 Where he says, when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me in. When the poor and marginalized called out to Jesus, he didn't ignore them, he didn't turn his back on them, but he administered true justice to them by loving them, caring for them, and valuing them. And on top of that, he took on the greatest injustice of all by taking on our sin, our shame, the times that we have treated people unjustly, the times that we have not treated God the way that he should be. He took it on himself that now we would be a people that belongs to him and represent this kingdom. And so, in light of this, what is our role as God's people as he's set this example for what biblical justice looks like for the poor and oppressed? You know, Martin Luther King Jr. wrote an incredible letter, a letter from a Birmingham jail, and I'd encourage everyone here to read it um, it was when he was in jail for protesting the uh, treatment of black people in Alabama. And he wrote this letter to a group of pastors. And in it, one part he says, human progress never rolls in on wheels of inevitability. It comes to the tireless efforts of men willing to be co-workers with God. And I believe his words ring true now, today, more than ever, and I would include, I would put the word biblical justice at the beginning. God's biblical justice never rolls in on wheels of inevitability, but it comes through the tireless efforts of men and women willing to be co-workers with God. It's not going to happen by us sitting on the sidelines. It's not going to happen by us just asking for it. It's going to happen when we as the people of God get the heart of God and His love and enter in to the, and identify with and enter into the lives of the vulnerable, the oppressed, and the marginalized And when we do this, the world is going to wonder why and what an opportunity we have to exalt Jesus in that. I mean, Bethany over here does an incredible job at Stocking Elementary, and I've been able to be there too at at different times. It's incredible when you hear teachers say, why do you have all these people? And this is a reflection on our community here. Why do you have all these people that come and hang out with our kids every week? Why do you have people that show, that throw these huge feasts And um, parties for our kids and their families. And what an awesome opportunity we have to say, because God loves you. He loves them. He values them. His heart is for this community over here that maybe other people would just pass by and say there's no hope for them. And I'm telling you, the teachers you tell that, it impacts them. Because we get to have the opportunity to truly live out the justice of God to the world. And in 1 Peter 2.9, I know we've talked about this verse Many times, and you've probably heard it thousands of times, which is great, because I think it's a great verse. But we are this kingdom of priests. And as a priest, we represent the people to God and God to the people. And as we represent God to the people, we display who he is by the way we live out and care for the marginalized, the poor, the oppressed. This is how we get to show God's heart and his kingdom to the world around us. And the world won't know it unless we're we're living into this. But we also have the awesome opportunity of representing the people to God. And to do this, we need to have eyes to see and ears that hear. The people that are crying out within our communities, in our nation, in our world, saying this has been my experience. This is where I've been hurting, where I've been oppressed, where I've been marginalized. It doesn't mean we have to agree with everything they say Or everything that they believe about themselves or the world, but we have to listen and hear their voice. When people are calling out and they're talking about the poor and marginalized socioeconomically, when we have racial divides saying, This has been my experience, when we hear people, refugees and others, saying, This is how I've been pushed to the side and marginalized, it's imperative that we listen to them. And I just wanna make one thing clear it's not about what we're called to love, it's about who we're called to love. Our culture right now is all about what group are you a part of. Are you a part of the Republican group or the Democrat group? Are you a part of this movement or that movement? Are you this and that? Because once we start to place people in different categories, we say, do you know what? I don't need to listen to them. I don't need to hear them. I don't love that group. I don't love That ideology. You know what? We're not called to love a Republican or Democrat policy. We're not called to love movements or ideologies. We are called to love God with our whole heart, mind, and soul and love our neighbor who is like ourselves. We need to listen to that and hear that and remember that. Our world has never been more polarized than it is today. What an awesome opportunity we have to be a people that are different, that lean into this and say, you know what? We might be from totally different. Understandings, but I'm going to hear you. I'm going to see you. I am going to love you. And I'm going to walk with you. I, that will point people to Jesus more than anything else we can do, I believe. Sorry, I glued my pages together, and I think they got glued together. So uh, <laughs> multiple. Uh, Rod never taught me how to uh, do that really nicely. <laughs> you know, this isn't meant at all, just to wrap up, to be condemning or anything. But I think there's something that this is such a huge privilege when we get to enter into the hearts and the lives of those that are marginalized and those that are oppressed. Because as Jesus said, when we feed the hungry, take care of the sick, visit the prisoner, love and defend the vulnerable and marginalized, there we will truly meet him. Richard Beck, he's an author. He talks about how he was just struggling in his faith and he ended up leading or signing up to go to a prison jail ministry to do a Bible study once a week. And he shows up and these guys are like, hey, what are you here to teach us? You know, what are you gonna do? This and that. He said, I'm not here to bring Jesus here. I'm here to meet Jesus here. He's already here. He's working in your midst and I need more of Jesus in my life and that's why I need to be here today with you guys. So maybe the reason wants us. God wants us who aren't classified as vulnerable, oppressed or marginalized to live out biblical justice to others is because in these people, we learn from them and gain more of God's heart and remember at the end of the day who we truly are and how we are to relate to God. I just wanna end with this verse, 1 Corinthians 1. I hope it's very freeing to all of us when it says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world, the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. And let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And as we just take some time to pray, we just want to have a time of reflection just to pray and ask God, what are the things in my own heart? Where am I on this journey? Do I have his heart for justice? What does living a life of biblical justice look like for me in my workplace, in my home, in my neighborhood, in my community? Asking God for his heart for his eyes to see and his ears to hear. Because we can either be apathetic and say, Do you know what, this isn't my reality. This isn't what I, I, this doesn't affect me. But I don't think that's God's heart. I think God's heart is say, you know what, lean into this, listen to this, listen to the people that are around you. And I know others of us feel extremely overwhelmed when there's so much social media and we see all the injustices going on in the world, And we just come to that place of, you know what, I just can't do anything. And I think that's a lie. And rather than looking at the world in general, just say, God, where have you planted me? Where have you placed me that I can be a doer of justice in this space? So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you love us, that you see us as made in your image, that you value us so much. And what a joy and a privilege it is to be called your sons and daughters, and your co-laborers, God, the ones that get to work with you to display who you are, your heart for others, Lord, your kingdom. God, you give us such an awesome, weighty responsibility, but you say, I'm gonna be with you always. Even to the end of the age, you walk with us in these places. And so, God, right now, I just pray by the power of your spirit that you would fill us that you'd speak to us, show us your heart for those around us, God. We just ask for your heart as a community of Crossroads, Lord, to be a community of biblical justice. For us individually, Lord, to be a people of justice that love and display who you are to the culture and the world around us, Lord. And we do this that we can boast, not in ourselves, but that we can boast in you, and in your great name and for who you are and what you've done we love you god we love you lord in jesus name if you're willing sing this with me as a
1: prayer lord you have my heart and i will search for you jesus take my life and leave
2: Lord, You have
1: my heart, and I will search for You. Let me be to You a sign. see your glory here. We'll see your glory.
3: Here. Good morning, Crossroads. Been saying this a little bit more lately, and I'm kind of excited about it. Uh, It makes church really easy. I think we're living in a time that's going to become a bit epic. And uh, in light of that, uh, what a time for the church to be the church. Jeremiah, thank you, man. What what a gift to have uh, Jeremiah, Matt Stoll, just in this area of our church and it 's not an arm of our church; they are the arm that 's empowering the body to be about our neighbors and the nations and uh, just grateful for those guys. if you don 't mind, let me just uh, do a quick shout out to my dad. Uh, he had a heart attack a week ago and is uh, right now recovering from quadruple bypass surgery, so he 's in a lot of pain and uh, that I just wanna say, um, you are your family's hero, you're my hero, and uh, God has this. <laughs> I really think that uh, theme verses have, have served us well. Um, just even hear Jeremiah talk about uh, the one that we had two years ago uh, from 1 Peter 2 verse 9, but you are a chosen people, a holy nation, royal pe- priesthood, God's special possession, Uh, declaring the praises of him who brought you out of darkness into his wonderful light and i think god used that to push uh, who are we what are we doing here uh deeper into to our hearts last year i don't think got as much traction just because COVID and all of that we might have lost sight of it a little bit but um it's still significant i loved how brian robinson when he preached i don't know if you noticed what he did there but he wove together uh 1 Peter 2, verse 9, that theme verse, uh, with last year's theme verse, which is this. If anyone claims to be in Christ, he or she must walk as Jesus walked. Wow. (laughs) Um, What a a privilege that God would actually say that we could actually walk the way Jesus walked. Um, This year's theme verse... Yes, we're going to have a theme verse this year. Uh, is Isaiah 32 verse 2. And let's just look at it right now. Actually, I'll start with verse 1. Uh, that definitely sets it up. See or behold, a king will reign in righteousness, rulers will rule with justice. And each person will be like a shelter from the from the wind, a refuge from the storm like streams of water in the desert in the shade of a great rock in a thirsty land. And uh, so I, I encourage you to, to tackle this, this verse uh, this year, and there's just a couple of things right now that I'd love to highlight. Uh, first of all, in verse one, when it talks about a king, what king are we talking about? Christ, of course, that's easy. But then, who are the rulers? who rule with justice. Those are simply the people who belong to Christ, to this king, who have surrendered their lives to him whose total allegiance is to Christ. And so, therefore, those of us this morning who have bowed our heart and our life to Christ, you are far more than a believer. You are far more than a person of faith. You are a ruler. God has given to us his authority, his rule, the keys to his kingdom. I mean, uh, J.R. mentioned it just a Uh, a few minutes ago, Psalm 8, it says this, you, God, have made us a little less than yourself. Think about that. We have been made just a little less than God. And it says we've been crowned with glory and honor. And then it says you've made us rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything, everything that you've made under our feet, and so God entrusted his rule, his authority, his kingdom to us. And for what purpose? Well, listen to the imagery of our theme verse in the second verse. And each will be a shelter from the wind, a refuge from the storm, streams of water in the desert, and the shade of a great rock in a thirsty land. That's just amazing imagery. And when I go to the land and... It, this imagery just really pops there because so much of, the, of, of even the promised land is desert and dry and barren. Now, what I would like to just highlight this morning, where it says, each will be like a stream of water in the desert. Can you picture that? Can you picture a desert? Can you picture a stream of water flowing in the desert? In the Bible, two two kinds of water are described. First of all, there's just water. And and to the ancient, uh, almost all their water was the water that they stored and collected in a well or a cistern. Um, That water was stagnant, it was dirty, it was stale, but it's water, and in that ancient world, every drop of water matters for survival. So you had water, but then you also had what was called living water, in Hebrew, it's this wonderful word, mayim chayim, and this is the water that actually comes to us uh, via a spring or rain or a flowing stream. So you can imagine in that ancient world how precious and priceless living water is. This is why God takes this image of living water and and he applies it to himself. He says, this is what I am. I am maim kaim. I am living water. Uh, We read about this in Jeremiah 2, uh, where it says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. They've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Or Jeremiah 17, verse 13, where it says, O Lord, the hope of Israel, but all who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the dust, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. I love this imagery because this is what God then is saying to a world that is dying of thirst. This is what I am. I am Mayim Kaim. I am living water. This flowing stream in a desert. In fact, this is why in the Garden of Eden, God's first home, his first living room, flowing out of that garden are four streams. And these four streams uh, flow out to water the whole earth. And these four streams are more than just water, but it's the picture of God and his presence going out to the four corners of the world. Or then you get deeper into the story, Sinai, when God made his home on a mountain. And and every day in that hot, Desert, water, water flows from this rock. And people drank this Maim Kaim, this living water. And this was more than just water that they were drinking, but it was God in his presence. When God later in the story makes his home in Jerusalem, and that house is built, and his living room is there, there is this stream called the Gihon, which flows from it. In fact, Gihon means Gusher. In fact, also, Gihon is one of those four streams that flow out of Eden, which is why some Jews to this day believe uh, God's house was built right on that garden. But listen to how this is said in in the Psalms, in, in Psalm 46. Though the earth give way, the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and form and the mountains quake with their surging... In light of all this chaos, the psalmist says, But there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells, because God is within her, and she will not fail. And this is why when you get to the end of the Bible, maybe the greatest chapter, Revelation 22, the new heavens and new earth, is defined by God dwelling among his people. And his dwelling place being on Main Street in this city. And out of it flowing this river. Which brings healing to the nations. I don't know if you're seeing the image yet. But when God's house and the story is destroyed. And God's people are exiled. And, and all seems to be utterly hopeless to them. When their reality again became that of a dry and barren wasteland of wilderness. The prophet Isaiah speaks these words from God himself, Isaiah 35. He says, The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the rose. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. Then will the eyes of the blind be open, the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame will leap like a deer. The mute will shout for joy, and water will gush, gihon, for in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Not only does Isaiah say that, but Ezekiel, just a little bit later, into this despairing moment, literally drops a bomb, (laughs) a good one something that's almost too good to be true. He gets a vision that he describes in, in chapter 40 of Ezekiel of, of this new temple that God is going to reestablish in Jerusalem. And then you get to the last chapter of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 47. And Ezekiel sees from this temple, this little trickle, this little stream that's flowing out of the temple, and it's flowing east into the desert. (laughs) Let me just show you what this might look like. Where you see that gold dome, that is where the temple once stood. Today it's a Muslim uh, shrine, Dome of the Rock. And we are looking east, and if you look closely, on the horizon is the desert. Can you picture this, this stream flowing out of the new temple on that hill, flowing out into the desert, and then Ezekiel says he sees this this stream as it goes deeper and deeper into the desert, uh, trickling out of out of God's house. Um, it becomes a mighty water, gushing, and by the time it reaches. That other sea out there, which is called the Dead Sea where nothing lives, it is too mighty for people to even cross. And where it flows, everything begins to come to life. The desert begins to bloom. Greenery, trees, flowers of every kind. The desert is being made into a garden again. And Jesus had the audacity to say, I am that temple, and I am that Maim Kaim, that living water. And as my dad sits in his desert in his hospital room right now, as some of you right now sit in your deserts, as we look out more and more on, on a world that is a desert, consider what Jesus said. I am living water, Maim Kaim, water that flows from the temple, from the house of God into the desert to turn our desert into Eden. Everything that's dead he is gonna to bring to life. The desert's gonna bloom. It's gonna flower. It's gonna blossom. And do you know what Isaiah 32 says? We are that river. We are this temple. It says each one will be like a stream of living water in the desert. Each, each, hear that, each one. Not pastors, not paid clergy, every single one of us will be a stream of Maim Kaim flowing in the desert. Look at our world, it's a desert it's a dry and barren place i mean we know desert we know what it means to lose something whether it's a job or health a relationship a loved one we know what it means to be overwhelmed to be sad lonely depressed despairing we know thirst our world is thirsty I'll think about this. The way in which God is going to send his living water is through us. Would anybody say about you right now that you're mine, caim, living water? Parents, would your kids say that about you? If you're married, would your spouse say that about you? If you work, would your coworkers say that about you? Or wherever you live, do do your neighbors say that about you? Do they come to you in their thirst, knowing that you are Kaim? Are you right now seeing dead things, dead things come to life? Now, here's the thing about water. Water will always find the cracks and the crevices and the chinks and the armor and it will flow into those places of brokenness. Are we flowing into those places? Or maybe the most honest question I can challenge you to ask this morning. Is the water that you're offering to our world, is it dead or is it living? Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, Let him come to me and drink. And streams of living water will flow in and flow out. Are we thirsty? Are we drinking? Because Crossroads, I want to end with this. I want to be a church that doesn't just hold services, take collections, pay bills, have programs. I want to be a church where this water, this Maim Kaim just gushes. It just gushes from us. I want this city to know that if they're thirsty, they can come and Maim Kaim will be offered to them. What is this water? It's God. It's His Spirit. It's His presence. But more specific even to just that, it's righteousness. It's justice. And we're going to talk more about that in the future. In Hebrew, it's, it's tzedekah and mishpat. But I only get 15 minutes today. <laughs> I've gone too long already. Um, But let me just end with the prophet Amos' words from Amos 5, verse 24, where he says, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. This is a word. To every person who's sitting here today, to every person who is listening right now, each, each one will be like a stream of Maim Kaim in the desert. God, would you please fill us with your Spirit, with all of your Maim Kaim, that your Maim Kaim would flow in us and out of us, and that we would not be a church that retreats from the desert or taps out from hard places. God, that we'd be a church that moves towards, that we'd be streams of water flowing into the desert, for your, for your name's sake, in Jesus' name, amen. Again, what does this look like, especially in non-churchy terms? What does it look like 24-7, 365? God flowing into us, God flowing out of us. Well, I uh, want to show you two guys uh, who are dear friends of mine, Wade and Dustin Vokteveen, who've been coming across from us from the very beginning. And like our church, they've been on this journey. And so it's not about going to church. <laughs> it's, it's actually about being church through whatever God has given you, through whatever circle of influence that's been entrusted to you 24/7 365 thank you Wade and Dustin
4: we are we're passionate about business I, I love business it's challenging it's it's fun it's stressful it's all those things um, but yeah what comes with that is is people the ability to lead people i'm passionate about um, and just I think we both love that we have a responsibility to people. That uh, you know, people have families to support, and they have expectations of us. And I think we're we're passionate about being in those roles where we we have a job to do that that supports people.
5: I think it's recently just the the amount of of hurt, just the amount of pain that's in our in our community, and I we see that every day at work. So guys come in, in the morning like. Their attitude's terrible, and you give them a high five and say, hey man, let's have a great day, and two seconds later you can see them walk out with a with a smile on their face. And it's just like their family life is not good or they don't have a family, and we're their family. And just a little bit of positivity is is huge, and it just goes forever. They'll come back in at the end of the day and give you a high five and be like, it was a great day. And I'm like, okay, I thought you were gonna end it this
4: morning. People are starving for someone People are starting, starving for leadership, right? They're, they're starving for positive energy, they're starving for um, influence, right? And I I feel like I fail 95% of the time, but on the days where I get it right and I can, you know, I get to bring whether it's just positive energy or on my favorite days where I get to tell someone about Jesus and and I I had it. A couple times this week, where someone was going, two different people were going through some tough stuff, right? And I, we talked about it. We talked about it. We talked about it. And I ended the conversation. And I said, "Hey, you've worked for us for long enough to know where this is going. I don't see a solution to this problem without Jesus."
5: It's really difficult, and I'm glad that we keep doing it, right? And we know there's a 99% chance that this guy is going to work for three days and disappear. And every one of our guys is going to say, "Why did you hire this guy? He he can't do anything." we'll we'll continue to do it because it's it's the right thing to do and there's a few guys that are with us right that they have changed their life because we gave them a shot
4: and it goes back to doing things god god's way works right so i'm thinking about one of our one of our best foremen he was i think he was on drugs at the initial interview and i said i'll hire you but you're probably not going to last more than two days and he's been with us for seven years and he's he's killing it right and so he, he's clean his he's cleaned up his life he's he's doing really well and so yeah there's a hundred that don't but the one or two or five or ten or however many it is that do um make it worth it what jesus would do in each situation it's easy to say I mean, jesus wouldn't tell someone that they had 10 yards of stone when there was really seven yards of stone but a lot of the answers are not like, it's not Jesus would do this or Jesus would do this, right? And so it's trying to discern with a group of people like, hey, where does God really want us to be on, on this situation or this decision or whatever it is? And sometimes we get it right sometimes we get it wrong. But again, even when you get it wrong, when that guy quits after two days and everyone's mad at me for firing, I walk back in my office and I go, at, at, gonna keep doing it right because that's what that's how God wants me to treat that person and there's I mean, there's not as much in the Bible about the consequences of how you make those decisions as there is just making those decisions, right? It never says that it's gonna go perfect. It just says to keep treating people well. So we're gonna keep doing it. Uh, I'm Wade Bugdaveen.
5: Dustin Bugdaveen and we own Hammer Landscaping.
2: Yeah, yeah. So you yeah, can you do can, that.
6: Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> They're probably here online. So. Yeah.
2: Um, so you guys might know us or you might not, but I want to just do a quick introduction so you know who's talking up here. I'm Bethany Hicks, and I get to work as a part of the missions team, mostly in the public schools, but really doing a lot in the city. Um, and I have the amazing privilege and pleasure of hanging out with Steve up here, Steve Van Poole, our executive pastor. Um, and I really just want to kind of interview him for you guys. So those of you at home, Pretend like we're at your kitchen table with you. Hang out with us for a minute. Um, you guys here, you get to just look at us. So, um, <laughs> so Steve, um, you know, we're talking about biblical justice, and I see you as a representative of our staff, of our elders, and I just would really love to know why are you, why are, why are we as Crossroads passionate about biblical justice? Yeah.
6: Thanks, Bethany, and uh, thanks, Rod, Jeremiah, and the team. Thank you, family, for... Uh, I I love on any Sunday at Crossroads uh, just how you're all leaning in I know Matt kind of apologized that mission stole the morning but I feel like I saw from the back everybody kind of scooched to the edge of their seat and I love that about this family so thank you all of us gathered Um, when I was thinking about being up here and asking that question I reflected back on uh, I was thinking about the definition and the idea of God's heart and when I read the Bible for the first time all the way through, I couldn't help but see this theme that I would kept hearing about, about God's ways and this path that he had. Um, uh, one of my favorite psalms, you know, the psalmist says, uh, show me your ways, teach me your paths, guide me in your truth. Uh, Proverbs, the opening chapters of Proverbs talk all about these ways and this path. And um, and I know I'm all over the scripture, but that's kind of what our middle name is, right? But uh, at the end of uh, Moses' speech in Deuteronomy, he basically says, as he's unpacking God's ways to the people before he hands off leadership to Joshua, and he says, right, in, it's, uh, it's in chapter 30, I don't know the exact verse, but it's choose life. He, God basically says that these ways, these paths, these ways that we treat and see each other, that's life. And for me, it was, uh, it was totally paradigm shifting because I, I think I always thought about doing things for others as a burden. Yeah. I always thought of it as it's like a task that I have to do, something I'm told to do that my parents tell me I have to do or something like that. But God makes it very clear and Jesus says it too, right? He's like, I've come that you'd have life and life to the full. My example is life, life to the full. And I've, I think for this church and for me personally, walking this out, is life. I mean, this is the joy. This is where we get to experience it. If, if we're not, if we're holding back, we're actually not being who God made us to be.
2: Yeah, yeah definitely. And um, one of the really, one of the most fun parts of our jobs, I would say, is seeing all of you doing that, right? And I yeah. see Steve, you know, meeting with businessmen, meeting with all these different people who um, he he gets to challenge them, and then they get to to live it out. It's not just us on a stage, right? Um, so kind of in light of that, um, how do you see crossroads living this out like have have you seen examples of that? Um, tell me about how you see the body, the staff, all anyone living out biblical justice?
6: Yeah um, I think those that know me or know my vantage point I often talk about the fact that I get to be kind of I talk about being pastor of organizational health or I try to be around crossroads so um, a lot of question I, I get asked all the time is, what is Crossroads doing with this or with that? And uh, particularly if that's someone from Crossroads, usually I'll ask them back, what are you doing? And it helps us understand, and something I've said to people all the time, there's very little impact or change. There's very little we can do as an organization of Crossroads at the end of the day. Um, but the thing that is powerful is all of you, the each that Rod talked about. The thing that's powerful, and it's cool, is I get to hear the stories, but I know we can live into this further and further. We can choose this life that God's got for us. But it's that difference between what I can do as executive pastor at Crossroads, but what you all get to do um, is amazing, and that's what changes a city that's what renews a city that's what impacts the world is this whole body the people online the people are going to come to the 11 gathering living it out day by day and choosing that life
2: yeah certainly and i I think one kind of important note to make there um you know you see me up here talking about my passion you see me talking about kids about stocking um But I know that you guys don't all have that passion, that talent, and I love that. (laughs) So I hope you never hear me talking about that, thinking, oh, I have to do that because of a duty. I want you to know that you are in a sphere of influence. You have certain passions. You have certain giftings. So if stocking's not for you, please don't come volunteer. Find what does work for, for what God has put inside of you. You're probably already doing it. And you just get to step further into that with each day and ask God to continue to help you. So um, just want to encourage you in that, that we don't want one specific pigeonholed thing. Sometimes it might seem like that because we're just so excited. Um, but we just love that each of you is on your own street corner. Um, so heads up, we're going to get ready to do communion. So if you're at home, get your elements ready. Um, <laughs> and anyone else, yeah. Um, <clears throat> but in light of communion and in light of just... You know, scripture, I did want to ask Steve one more question. Um, Just what do you go back to? What do you center yourself on to remember that Jesus ultimately is the reason for for living out biblical justice?
6: And I'll get to that. I think there's a piece of it that starts, and and oddly enough, I was actually in that Amos text this morning uh, that Rod mentioned in my read through, and repeatedly there's this call to seek God, seek God. And that piece is for all of us as we seek God. He will show us what it looks like for us in our story to live it out, whether it's stocking or something else. But when I was thinking about this, I remember someone recently um, who's really passionate about the unborn and justice for the unborn. He showed me kind of a new twist on John 3.16. And uh, it's it's the focus in on the lead into that. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. And that just, when you think about that and you look at God's ways throughout Scripture, that's every individual, every single person that's ever existed, no matter race, socioeconomic class, abilities, gender, it doesn't matter. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. And so Jesus has that example and thing that lives us in us.